0: This is the Hacker Noon podcast, and today we have Idan Zuckerman with us, who is one of the co-founders at Uplint. Along with him, we have Reza Jafri, who is returning as our co-host. He is the Chief Blockchain Officer at Acoin and one of my favorite people to follow on Twitter. Welcome, guys. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. So Idan Zuckerman and his uh, co-founders have developed this game based on the blockchain called EOS, which is one of those metaverse games. If you guys know about Second Life, it's based off of that, where you have an avatar within the game and there are certain things, activities, and friendships that you can form online. There used to be a time when such games were frowned upon, I remember like there were tales from South Korea where over a long weekend or the government holiday weekend, people were playing for 48 hours straight, 72 hours straight in the cyber cafes, people living inside over there. And then there were reports that some people died. But we have like come a Is long casual way casual from- slipping. And some people died. <laughs> um. I want to be sad about that, but as a gamer myself, like I always believe that gaming should be separated from these things people dying was a function of something else but everywhere where you see the news you see people saying, oh he was a gamer that's why he became violent he used to play gta san andreas or like whatever and these are the reasons that i don't like and i agree like it might have sounded very very casual of sorts i'll be more mindful of that but yeah this is where we are like coming from and we'd like to know more from Idan as to like how you guys built it and what is your vision for this
1: yeah so maybe just a tiny correction the game is called upland and it's built on the eos blockchain and upland is a it's pretty much a metaverse that's overlaid on top of the real world its inhabitants compete and collaborate in games they earn by trading digital property and running their own businesses and they connect in local communities and then Mm -hmm. Like you said, the Upland metaverse is powered by uh, blockchain uh, technology, uh, predominantly the EOS mainnet, and it runs like a true economy that allows people also to extract value back into the real world by selling the digital assets for fiat currency.
2: What, what drives the value of properties within Upland? Is that decided by the users of the game, or is that pulling from like real... If I find a street in San Francisco that I know has really expensive homes, is it, are those homes in Upland also going to be more expensive relative to the places around them?
1: Yeah, so in, in Upland, we have the concept of minting new properties. So the, uh, the, the properties are only minted on the blockchain once somebody uh, purchases them for the first time and mints them on the, the EOS minute. And then the initial prices, we've come up with a model that uh, like mirrors uh, likely the real world in terms of differences between uh, kind of like the, uh, the level of, uh, you know, how much uh, a parcel or a property is expensive compared to another one. It kind of like mirrors the real world, but like in a lower uh, scale. Uh, so if a property, so property in whatever Pacific Heights in San Francisco can cost maybe $2 million, right? In the game, it may only cost, you know, 20,000 Apex, which is Our virtual currency, for example. But the reason why we have to maintain that initial, let's call it a benchmark for pricing, is that, again, our game runs an open market. So once you uh, bought the property, you can trade it freely in the marketplace, either for Apex, the in-game currency, or for fiat currency, which is coming uh, actually uh, later next month. And then just because we can't create a, a, a situation where we compete with our own players or cause their properties prices to go up or down, we have to maintain that, that benchmark of pricing for unminted properties. And, and again, taking one tiny step back, our mission as the operators of Upland is to maintain a stable economy and like to, to support its growth as our player base. Uh, grow together with the game. So that, that like, uh, dictates a lot of our thinking around how we price properties uh, in general, and then how many properties we make available in the general, in the general game. So we started out uh, just with San Francisco. Last month, we recently launched uh, also New York City in vanilla mode, uh, as our player base uh, grew. And now we're also uh, introducing a, a small town called Fresno in California, uh, just to enable uh, more options for people who want to play on the lower scale and don't necessarily want to monetize and put money into the game before they try it out a bit. So we like use Fresno as like an easy onboarding place for people who want to just play at a smaller scale. And it still follows the same real world difference in pricing between real world Fresno and real world San Francisco.
2: That's super interesting. Is it like, would you compare it to... Monopoly at all, like a complex Monopoly.
1: Do you hear that often this, That's not the first time I hear it and to be honest We were inspired uh, By that uh, famous board game, but then it's so much more than that again mm-hmm. at, at the base of everything lies Property and real-world addresses and trading. We do have concepts that are somehow fami- uh, Similar to the game such as you, you can complete collections. So when you own property in Upland you also get uh, and, and earnings uh, on top of that, uh, like a yield on your, uh, on your uh, property holding. And then when you complete collections, so for example, if I hold three properties in the same street, or if I hold, let's say, three museums in San Francisco, for example, uh, I then get boosted earnings for those properties that I keep in the collections. Mm-hmm. And then I also get one-time rewards for completing those. So that kind of like creates like an incentive mechanism and some playability around which properties you collect. How can I trade with other players to optimize my strategy? How can I progress in the game? And that's part of it. But then I think that's where the similarity pretty much ends because there's so much on top of it because now you can play games in the metaverse. We have treasure hunts and we have live events where you compete against other players or collaborate with them. And then very soon we're going to introduce land development when you can start building on top of your properties uh, and using those buildings as either homes, but then also run businesses in up. So you can run different types of businesses and also earn our in-game currency, which in turn you can use to buy digital assets and then also finally, if you wish to, uh, sell them for fiat currency and also liquidate your assets as well back to the real world. So it's it's a very exciting platform that's so much more than just that game, uh, that board Mm. game, right?
2: Absolutely. Yeah, I, I didn't mean to simplify it, oversimplify, by any means, know, but it, when you talked about like buying businesses and properties, the, it reminded me of some childhood uh, childhood oh, monopoly yeah. games. Definitely.
1: And again, we, I think our players get it. And there's that instant emotional connection to, to that game, which reminds people of, of that. And I think that's a great like uh, launching board, but then people discover so much more beyond that. That's what kind of uh, makes it exciting.
0: Got it, got it. Just to add on to this and to follow the theme of the year or maybe of the like decade, is there like items such as social justice within your game? Because from what I'm hearing, if I own three of the museums, now I have a monopoly. And like in the real world, monopolies are punishable, they are like liable to be broken. What happens yeah. in your game?
1: I think I would take a different uh, view at that, and I think the you call it social justice. I would like to say to call it an evolution in fairness in gaming in general. So if you think about all nice. of the games, games run in like almost as a rule of thumb, like right, 99.9% of cases, games run a pseudo economy where the only participants are the player and the, the operator. And then there are multiple instances of that across as many mm-hmm. players as crowd. Uh We took uh, an evolutionary step towards an open economy where first of all, people have true ownership of the digital assets. So us as game operators, even if we wanted to really hard, if you hold our in-game currency, which is called Apex, we cannot touch that without your explicit permission. As opposed mm-hmm. to other traditional games where basically The owner owns that balance and they can do whatever they want without asking you. Same goes for any other digital assets. More importantly, players are free. If if you put an effort, your time and your hard earned money into the game, you have to have the, uh, and it's funny that it doesn't come up uh, ever. Why not have the possibility to sell those assets to other players in the game? Think about what is true ownership? And I think, to me, it comes down to one sentence: If you do, if you can't sell it, you don't own it. Can you imagine anything in life that you purchased with your hard-earned money, but then you don't have the right to sell it? It's pretty insane. So we're mm-hmm. trying to, to 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 take that evolutionary step uh, forward, and hopefully, if we're successful, we have the whole movement of games, and we're part of games that are trying to do that right now. Uh, and if we're if we're successful, I'd love to be able to be in a position where. You, you come to a, to a game and you have an identical game that has an identical offering in terms of gameplay, but one of them offers true ownership, via, whether it's if it's via blockchain or some other technology and the other does not, they offer just this traditional old school economy where you can't sell your assets and you don't have true ownership. Mm-hmm. And now which one would you play? Obviously you're gonna to wanna to play the ones that gives you back bigger benefit. So, we really think the industry is going there. And I think that's, again, that's, uh, you, again, you call it social justice. Maybe let's call it gaming justice. But uh, Digital but if economic. You, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and, but if I, if I may elaborate maybe a bit more about those aspects of the game, I think Upland does, and, and we are taking it there, where local communities in Upland are going to have uh, some form of governance about their local communities. So for example, if in San Francisco, you'll be able to vote such as things such as a specific neighborhood, what kind of businesses would it be able to run? Or how many cafes can I set up in a specific, whatever, in in the neighborhood called Dogpatch in San Francisco? So these kinds of things are, are, again, our technology gives us uh, the power to offer these governance tools uh, within those local communities for these aspects of the game that we can delegate to the community. So I think that's also going to be an important role going forward.
0: Got it. Got it. And I heard the word NFTs over there and you would be surprised to know the sheer number of people who don't even get the word fungibility. And now you guys are dealing in non-fungible tokens. So how would you like explain that to someone who does not understand like fungibility. How do you like
1: tell him that this is a non fungible token and here's how it works. So, so again, I, I would, I would describe it very simply if we want to distinguish between fungible and non fungible tokens are, are like currency. So if you take dollars, for example, us dollars, if you take one dollar bill and another dollar bill, both of them are mutually interchangeable. Like I can exchange one for one and there wouldn't be any difference between that. Okay. So these are uh, fungible tokens. That means that every token is the same and it's just a matter of what's the balance. How many of those do you, own? uh, with non-fungible tokens, every one is unique. So again, in, for example, in Upland, uh, property parcels, the addresses and the properties that you buy are non-fungible tokens. So each one of them has a, some unique attributes. It has a unique address in the world. So for example, uh, 75 3rd Street in San Francisco, it has a precise geolocation in the world. It has like boundaries. And then uh, the property next to it, although it's still, it may be 77 3rd Street. Although it has the same street, it may be the same size, but these are different locations and they are mutually exclusive. So you can never interchange one with the other. If you own uh, 75 3rd Street in Upland in San Francisco, you are guaranteed to be the only person in the world that owns that and that's mm-hmm. it so if, if implemented correctly the game doesn't have even the technological option to create another type of that specific address and that's what makes it non-fungible meaning that it's unique and it can't be interchangeable with a different uh, token of that type now mm-hmm. it may sound a bit overwhelming but what? what I What I often like to say about non fungible tokens is the technology gives you an incredible power that wasn't available before blockchain technology uh, emerged to take digital assets and almost give them like a a physical instance in the real world. Because uh, before that, if I had a digital asset, let's say uh, whatever, I have a digital, cute little digital llama. Uh, and I give it to you as a player, for whatever reason, Let's call the game Lamaville. And then, and then now you theoretically own it, but that's not the case because I, as operator, this is stored on my server. So basically you don't really own it. I just let you use it. If mm-hmm. I decide to go and like press delete or just decide on a whim that I'm now going to associate the ownership of that asset to Reason instead of to you then uh, at that point, you, don't, you no longer own it. And then blockchain allows you to create these physical instances of digital assets that once somebody is the owner of it, again, and I, I have to stress, when implemented correctly, when somebody owns it, that's it. He could never be able, uh, so, nobody will be able to take it from him without his explicit permission. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's basically uh, the essence of it. So I don't know Reza if you have another better explanation for NFTs. No, maybe. I
2: thought that was I thought that was
0: great. No, I really loved your um explanation. Come on of, guys. A I idea. have uh, I have a very simple explanation and everybody would get it. I would need five to <laughs> ten second stops. Do you guys believe in God? But no. yes. <laughs> Let's go with okay, God is no, no, no. right? I guess like you guys had that covered. Like I am a Hindu so for us there are like multiple gods, but I guess For the Abrahamic religions, God is one. So let's like go with one and let's assume that you guys believe in God. So the way I see it, man was made in God's image. So essentially, if you are to explain the non-fungible tokens to people, just tell them that we are all non-fungible tokens, except when you guys are twins. (laughs)
2: Interesting, interesting.
1: No, okay. so let, let, let me correct you. So I would say twins are semi fungible tokens. So <laughs> there are multiple instances of the same NFT. So <laughs>
0: hmm, I'm, I'm sorry, yes, Reza. No worries. Yeah. Um,
2: sorry, as you said something really interesting about like you're taking a digital asset and giving it a physical instance. What do you What are your thoughts on like the other side of that with like something some of the stuff we were talking about before, like taking art and creating an nft to represent art and i don't mean taking like a picture of the mona lisa and being like okay this is an nft of the mona lisa but rather individual independent artists creating art and like turning it into an nft i'm sure we've all seen some of the debates going on, on social media and twitter with people like uh, peter McCormack going on and saying if i screenshot your nft i now own your nft and <laughs> argument Whoa. like what are your thoughts on the whole creating a, a digital instance of a physical asset?
1: Yeah, I think I think that there are two parts to that, that answer. I think the first part, again, so we're going to heavily invest in Upland in what you mentioned, digital art. And I think it's going to be an amazing, an amazing um, uh, new and emerging uh, space. And forget for a second the fact that you can copy and paste a digital screenshot. Right. You can, by the way, you can do the same for you know printouts of digital art or whatever, or copy Mm -hmm. like uh, an imitate uh, artwork, and that's fine. But the question is, what are you able to do with that NFT? And I'll give you one very good example. So Upland is gonna host a type of business that is called art galleries, okay? And for that, for that uh, type of uh, business, we're gonna implement this thing that we call an NFT gateway into Upland. So you'll be able to take an NFT from outside of of upland and upload it into upland it means they're going to put it in a custodian uh, address and then in upland will create like a representative token for that and now your nft is in upland now the question is what can you do with that with that token so in upland for example you'll be able to take digital art and decorate your home in upland inside with digital art and display it for other uplanders which will be able to come and leave comments on your on your art piece Etc. And then also, you'll be able to take it into art galleries and trade it with other uplands again, etc. Now, at that point, we can create an ecosystem that gives you the confidence that this NFT is indeed uh, unique. Okay. And because each gateway that we'll implement is going to take care of that uh, and and make sure. In other words, ignoring for for a second about tokenized real world assets, there is a real a market here and real opportunity to take digital art and with marrying it with NFTs make it just much more uh, valuable by giving people things that you can do with it beyond just holding and collecting it. Uh, so I think that's one aspect. And then another aspect as to tokenize assets. And uh, I, I know this is like a, a really interesting uh, topic, and this is also a topic that we are uh, like uh, dealing with in Upland as well. Is that Again, the question is, what is the utility that the, that, that the token provides to you? So it can be just ownership, for example. So I can imagine a platform that takes something like, uh, let's say an old timer car, it's an old timer Porsche that's, that lives in a garage in Germany, for example. And you can tokenize it and sell pieces of ownership to people, and whoever owns the token the token can trade it and, and sell it to other people, and it represents a, a piece of ownership for that car so uh, your value is dependent right on the platform that implemented that token so if it's if it's a, a respectable you know entity you know backed by backed by a, a heavily regulated uh, a rules then you have a lot of trust in it then it's probably valuable if it's some if it's some crook that said hey i tokenized the car and go buy my tokens yeah nah, not so valuable maybe it's it's a bit fishy and risky But now, what if I said, okay, now you have this tokenized ownership, and let's say it's a respectable entity that issues those tokens. And now I said, hey, anyone who has those tokens can bring those tokens into Upland, and rather than just holding it as an investment, now you have a representation of that old-timer car in Upland, and you can use it to drive around uh, between cities and car race with other players and just show it off in Upland via a 3D model of that car. Now it becomes a bit more interesting because now you, you cast a utility into it. And and, and and if you compare it for example, you mentioned the Mona Lisa, right? So yeah, if I had a token uh for a Mona Lisa, and then I can you know I could create a replication of the Mona Lisa, a digital replication, and sell the token of it. But if I wanted to use the Mona Lisa in Upland, then we as a platform would make sure that only the Mona Lisa can be claimed to be the Mona Lisa, right? So we would have Mm -hmm. whatever kind of partnership with whoever issued those types of tokens. uh, So they can use them in our games and still be sure that this is the the original uh, and and legit work. So Mm -hmm. I I hope that makes some kind of sense. No, absolutely. Again, the short answer is it's the utility that you cast into those tokens Mm -hmm. that makes it uh, as interesting.
0: About the Mona Lisa, so let's assume that somebody like comes to Upland and says that they want to tokenize the Mona Lisa. Will Mona Lisa now become a part of your like system. What I want to get at is will the Mona Lisa have to be like kept in, uh, like, will it have to be kept in a safe by you guys? Or like, will it stay somewhere
2: like, Is there else? any physical ownership yeah. tied to the so- digital...
1: Yes, absolutely. So the only way we will allow ownership of uh, of real world assets that are tokenized is via a third party custodian. We're not going to even attempt to be that custodian. Uh, mm. That's not our specialty. We specialize in creating metaverses and games and experiences for players. And there are companies in the world that specialize in, in, having, in holding custody of, of these types of assets. And they mm-hmm. have all the... The regulation clearance whether it's in the European Union or the US or worldwide and they have the right insurance and whatever so a hundred percent this is going to be done by third-party trusted provider that we mm, feel
0: got it I guess like this is the reason why the Mona Lisa would never be tokenized because got it's like got it and
2: yeah that is something I, I feel like when people talk about tokenizing certain assets like there is like you have someone involved like when we i remember when tokenizing um assets was like a buzz in uh, like institutional circles and I, there was a period of time where i was getting a lot of calls from people who were like hey like i need to tokenize this real estate portfolio or like, hey i want to tokenize this <laughs> cannabis farm like how do i tokenize this and like while it is like it was like a little bit crazy like the 2018 2019 yeah time frame like i do believe that like we have to in the nft space learn or take something from that and that you have to have some form of ownership over what you are creating an nft for if it is a physical asset you're creating a digital instance for and when people are like just screenshotting things and then making them into nfts that kind of creates this little convolutedness that i think right now is making it a little more difficult for some people to start really buying into this this concept of non-fungible tokens it's just because of the way it's being executed, not by any particular company, but by users. If we look at like Rarible, it's not Rarible that's going and like screenshotting different things and like creating NFTs out of them. It's the users who have the freedom to upload whatever they want and mint whatever NFTs they want. And so they're going and screenshotting Twitter profiles and stuff like that.
1: It's crazy times. Absolutely. And, And I think like the, the litmus test here can be, again, when you judge a platform, when you judge an NFT offering, ask yourself, is there a utility being provided here? Is there a benefit being provided here beyond pure speculation? And if the answer is no, yeah, maybe think a couple of times before you spend money. But if you can see the value, and again, you can never take out speculation from the game because any, anywhere that you have a, value, a valid value proposition, and you have the opportunity to sell your assets, speculators will come in. You can't avoid it, but there has to be a value beyond speculation uh, for this to be legit.
0: And I guess Reza has a few questions on the blockchain itself. We had some in the like, in the oh, pre yeah. like interview stages. Yeah.
2: Why? So I, there was a period of time where I was absolutely obsessed with blockchain games and I I might, I may or may not have spent an irresponsible amount of money on crates for the release of several different games in my heyday. So I'm got a few questions about Upland. First, why did you choose to go with EOS?
1: Yeah, we started thinking about Upland back in 2018. And and the most natural choice for us was Ethereum. And that was the first thing we looked at. And again, this was all on on the premise in our minds that uh, the the real world address is like the ideal NFT. Just in terms of things you can do with it. It's kind of like amount of playability and just the fact it's non-fungible nature. Just the fact that you can create different series uh, because it has different attributes that can relate to other properties. Etc. And, and so we looked at Ethereum and, and, and again, we two out of the three co-founders of up and we come from the gaming space, from the casual gaming space. And when we look at, it, at, at Ethereum pretty quickly, we figured out one, in order to get started playing Ethereum based games, you have to have your own identity funded with Ethereum. So it has to be around. And again, this was even, it was just in the days of MetaMask before we had like more even, uh, elaborate uh, wallets. Mm-hmm. But then you still, you have, to man- you have to figure out how to install uh, uh, MetaMask, you have to fund it with Ethereum, and then you have to, uh, you know, by that time, you probably lost 99% of your potential addressable market in gaming. And then, even if you managed to, to, to bridge that, once you wanted to do a transaction, uh, you had to pay gas. Now, blockchain gamers may be used to that, and that's fine. And I think, uh, and obviously, if you, don't, if you don't fund the computation power for blockchain, you're in a bullshit blockchain, right? You're not really in a public blockchain. It doesn't drive you any benefit. So there has to be compensation. But on the other hand, think about one of the uh, very simple experiences that every uh, gamer expects is collecting your bonus, right? And if your bonus coins are in, are kind of like represented in cryptocurrency like, like they are in Upland, then imagine every time you collected the bonus, every three hours you come into the game, you collect your bonus, you have to pay whatever. Even if it's Five cents transaction fees, which is which can be a lot more than that. That's a no starter for any game uh, and then you lose another ninety nine percent out of the ninety nine percent you already lost. So it was really clear for us that Ethereum isn't going to cut it for our use case, what we were trying to build, and that's when we we explored other blockchains and and EOS. Pretty much on the technological level, it it it, it met all our needs because EOS does allow you to stake resources for your players. So that means that I can basically fund those activities of, of our players, which enables me to treat EOS as part of my natural backst- backend uh, stack. So the same way I treat my AWS costs or uh, Postgres costs or whatever hosting costs I'm paying for the backend. So it allows me to compile these costs into uh, the upland business model and then still offer my users a very simple... Uh, a very casual gaming experience that's not complicated and doesn't have these friction points of having to monetize. There are some other reasons. EOS has an elaborate uh, permission scheme, which kind of uh, enabled us uh, to develop really cool and innovative solutions that kind of allows us to, to, again, to meet that end result of offering a really simple onboarding experience for our players Uh, and uh, uh, almost invisible identity and key management function on the front end while still adhering to the uh, benefits of true ownership, so for us, for example, we are never we are, we'd never have access to private keys for players, and on the other hand, players never have to mess with private keys, and that was made possible by EOS's uh, permission scheme, which is very innovative. Mm. Then I think the last thing is once we focused in on our solution, we were also able to raise uh, uh, seed funding from uh, EOS VC based uh, venture capital. From ours, is called the FinLab out of Frankfurt. So that also gave us eventually access to our funding and, and that got us started as a company. So I think that's pretty much the, the long answer <laughs> for your question. Awesome.
2: Do you see a lot of people coming into the user base that
1: aren't from a crypto background? Do you think that it's working? I guess. Yeah, is the... yeah we know that it is. So uh, keep in mind, so we're still in open beta. We're still developing the game. The game is not even complete. We're still waiting for things like uh, property development, business licenses, uh, just so so people can actually create more engagement, more fun in the game, uh, more activity. But even so for now, even though the uh, low-hanging market for us is still people that know and understand the value of blockchain technology, because it's just an an easier sell. In terms of like, why, are, why is it valuable to play a blockchain based game more than it is just a traditional game, right? So blockchain people get it. That's why it's easier for us uh, to onboard them. But we've definitely seen that we were able to bring in gamers who had nothing to do with blockchain, who have no idea what other than maybe they may have heard about cryptocurrencies, but they don't know what blockchain is, what it uh, gives them as a benefit. They don't know anything about NFTs we managed to bring those in and actually some of them became some of our most valuable players in terms of both engagement and also uh, how much how much skin they put in the game and and it's really amazing to see because now we're in a position where and it happened more than once more than twice and more than a dozen of times we brought in gamers who had no idea about blockchain NFTs they got excited about the NFT space because of Upland and then they like also moved on to other places, like trading cards and wax and other platforms. And it, it's pretty fun to see. So we've proven that beyond doubt. there are There is a, kind of like a, a crowd out there who not only uh, is excited about our game, but also through our game can get excited about uh, blockchain and what it means. It's
2: amazing. Yeah, I think blockchain games have a huge value as like, outside of the intrinsic value that they have, um, I think that they have a huge value as on ramps for people into the space. There's been a lot of games or blockchain games that I've played where I've heard like similar sentiment uh, to what you're expressing, where it's you'll find a, a, a really like weird mix of people where you have like crypto enthusiasts and like some people who are trying to figure out like how the hell to get some like, currency onto the internet to use in this game and there's just like such a wide variety of people who are starting to get into these blockchain games and it's really cool to see how you guys have eliminated some of the barriers to entry for the the casual gamer or the average user to start getting or start yeah. becoming a part of the ecosystem.
1: Yeah, and there's also the reverse angle of it. So now basically you can take all the so I think it's but the number that floats around is there are 20,000 or so uh, blockchain ent- enthusiasts that kind of like own and trade NFTs in, in the industry. So now those, that group of people, it can be more, it can be less, they can come into Upland, they can bring in their NFTs, even if it's from outside of Upland. So if it's a crypto or, or whatever, it's like a racer game. You can bring in that NFT and hopefully next year we have tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of daily active users. And now they can make that offering to that market that lives inside of Upland, which is hopefully like far bigger than the crypto trader market. So it works both ways. It's, also, it's bringing in those people and introducing them to blockchain, but also we can bring in all the crypto you know, NFT traders and give them a much larger market to trade with and pitch whatever they're selling to. and and why people should own it inside of Upland by running an NFT gallery inside of Upland. That's awesome.
0: How far do you think we are from the day when we might see one of these blockchain games on a gaming console such as the Xbox or the PlayStation 5? So
1: first of all, I think it's uh, probably, I would give it two years or so. Mm -hmm. I know that there are some companies working on some AAA games that have some blockchain elements uh, behind them. So, you know, those games will debut eventually and we'll see how they do. I think it's, again, I think it's inevitable at the end of the day. Uh, Again, today we are, you know, we are collectively in in the blockchain gaming space. We're innovators and and we have to create. And, And one of the toughest messages is, how do we deliver the benefit that blockchain technology gives to ordinary players? Like we need to be able to s- convince them in very simple ways why they should play games that use blockchain and true ownership concepts, mm-hmm. as opposed to games. And I think that will happen as more and more games evolve, as technology evolves, as games more like us that kind like of empower people with these benefits through a simplified experience. I think it will naturally happen just because the benefit is there. It is really, it is substantial. And it's not always easy to explain it to ordinary people. Even for me, I got into the blockchain space only like in 2017. Like the only thing I knew was cryptocurrencies before I knew it. And for me, it took six months just to grasp okay, huh, so this is what it means. Oh, and this is what it can mean to the gaming industry. Okay, there's definitely something here. So we just need to find a way uh to communicate that uh, uh value proposition to ordinary gamers and then it will happen naturally.
2: Is the just out of curiosity, is the are the triple A uh blockchain game is that public information or is that something you gotta keep close knit at the moment? Oh no I, I,
1: again I, I one that I know of uh, it, it's is a company called uh, uh Mythical Games, you can look them up. Uh they're doing a game I think called Blancos or something like that. Yeah. Uh, and i'm sure they're not the only one yeah well, how would you define
2: triple a in that sense though because when you say triple a i think of like activision blizzard yeah.
1: yeah okay listen first of all i think we need to define what does it mean to be a blockchain game a very open big economy
2: uh... maybe player owned economies right so
1: player owned economy how about second life that's been around for a decade now that's an open economy right mm. So again, it's a more it's a more complicated question. Again, is what do you use the blockchain for? And again, uh, some games are purely or almost purely implemented uh, via smart contracts on blockchains, and that creates a whole new uh, a whole different set of problems. By the way, because again, you have re- regulatory problems like how do you avoid anti-money laundering uh, regulation? So how do you avoid terrorist groups who are coming in and monetizing on your assets? And then how do you prevent bots and, and from operating in, in that kind of like purely decentralized game. So I think that's one, one side of, the, of it. And then the other side of it, you can, you can utilize blockchain, but not really, but still control the private keys for players, for example. So you can claim you're a blockchain game, but do, do you really drive value? I don't know, maybe maybe yes, maybe no, I don't know. So it, it's a spectrum at the end of the day. And it, and it, it depends on where are you on that spectrum. Uh, and, and what kind of value are you driving for your players? Again, I, I always, I dream of the phase where we get to the point where nobody cares about blockchain or not. It's just like a part of your backend stack. And it's just about what value are you driving to your players? But yeah, if, if the value is true ownership, meaning that the, the, the ownership of digital assets is separated from the operator, and the power is given to the user. And you can trade uh, freely your assets in the market, and you can liquidate back for fiat. Okay, that's a solid value proposition, right? So you can work with that. So I like to think a bit less in terms of what is the technology, but more in terms of what does the user get out of it. So that's why, I'm, like, uh, when, when you ask like, what kind of blockchain games or AAA, it's a yeah very, very vast yeah, question. Yeah.
0: No, oh, definitely. But to answer your question, Reza, so. Dapper Labs, the guys who were behind uh, Crypto Giddies, they have partnered with, with, I guess, NBA. And they are like coming up with a game. So if it's Dapper Labs and it's NBA, I'm pretty sure it might be like AAA. Not exactly in the like lines of Activision or an EA Sports, but it, it might be huge. They're calling it Axiom Zen or something like that. I forget the yeah. names. I don't, I'm like
2: hesitant to jump too quickly onto the bandwagon of these like sports related Uh, and I see that that as like the easiest correlation. People love trading cards. Yeah. (laughs) That seems like an easy jump, but yeah, I don't know. It just, it doesn't really hit home for me personally. I think, and like I've seen a few other NFT companies that will do like partnerships with the NBA or NBA and release bobbleheads or cards. And it's just, it's, I just don't really see enough increased value between the NFT version of that and the actual like physical version of buying the cards just yet. I don't think that there is enough enough to bring the people who are trading these cards right now into Mm. the crypto world from the way that it exists currently. Mm -hmm.
1: Personally, I I, I would say probably collectible cards are probably one of the things, one of the spaces that do make sense for for NFTs. Uh, And I think also like stuff like uh, comic books or stuff like that. And and again, but it highly depends on the utility, right? So you have to have the right utility, the right place that can showcase and verify it uh, and just prove uh, the the legitimacy of your ownership. Hmm. Uh, And then I think it makes tons of sense. Because so then, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. So then
2: does the legitimacy of NFTs depend on the legitimacy of the marketplace? Do we need an Amazon of NFTs for NFTs to become more
1: legitimized in the like general public? I don't think so. I think it's more about, so again, taking a step back. Yeah, definitely the more marketplaces and the more like legitimate names operating this marketplace, yeah. That would be a huge benefit, but I think it more, it has to do more about the brand behind it. I'll give you an example, right? Tops uh, released garbage garbage pale kids cards on Wax. So, what is your conviction that Tops will not release the same cards on a different blockchain platform? You know, probably it's pretty high because it's a reputable company and the their partnership with with Wax was is legit. You can put your trust in the fact that if they put a pack of cards there, they're not going to put another pack of cards in another blockchain and, and sell that, that as, as a different ownership. Yeah. So I think that they, an NFT is, is a piece of code, right? It's, it's a database entry in a public decentralized ledger. The, the value that comes out of the NFT depends on who issued it, what was the context, what is the utility, etc. So you, you can't like just call it an NFT is a technology. It's the implementation, who does that and how they do it, that casts value into it, in my mind.
2: Has anyone tokenized reputation yet? That might be like a logical next step from... Because that's really interesting what you said. Like, how do you believe that TOPS will create the same deck on another blockchain? And it really does come down to the reputation of the artist uh, or like of the creator, of the brand if we take this like same example and apply it to what we were talking about earlier with digital art, it, a lot of it does come down to the artist. Do you think this artist is just going to recreate this art and sell it on the corner, for example, or sell it to an art gallery as well? And absolutely. it just becomes the, it's really interesting. I,
0: I feel like we're just at the beginning of this, this industry oh, right now. Idan, like from a uh, legal perspectives, where do like NFTs like sit? The way I see it and I see it from a very far off thing is that they seem like derivatives to me. Sorry, they seem like, I lost you for a sec. They seem like derivatives to me. So that makes them securities. Yeah, derivatives. So that's how I like look at it. But what's your take on it? Like how do they become a utility token and why not a security token?
1: Again, so like you said, it, it, it depends on the utility. So if they have utility, then they are digital assets, which is completely different than derivatives or currency or uh, et cetera. And they have a completely different way that they are regulated. I, I'm more familiar with US regulation, less familiar with worldwide. Right. But again, there's a clear distinction and, 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 and the distinction is driven from the utility. So If, if it has utility, it, it can be considered an asset or a digital asset and, and not a currency.
0: So in the U S is your token, the UPX, is it like considered a utility or is it considered a security?
1: Okay. That's a great question. And that's one of the biggest uh, uh, hurdles we've overcome in our holistic solution in Upland. So Apex is a strictly an in-game utility token. Mm-hmm. But the reason it is that is because we don't allow people to trade Apex outside of the game. Mm-hmm. So you can own, so Apex is a digital currency. You have ownership of it as, as an owner, meaning that I can take it away from you without your explicit permission, mm-hmm. but you cannot take it on an exchange and trade it with other people outside of the game. That is a serious restriction today for our players. But because we uh, impose this restriction, this in turn enable us to allow players to sell their digital assets such as properties or buildings or whatever NFTs they will have in the game. Then they can sell it back for fiat currency. And by the way, we, we, in order to do that, you also need in the US, it's called money transmitter license. It's a whole different headache that you, you don't want to get into. But again, it's a part of our specific holistic solutions. And there may, there may be different permutations of different solutions that meet regulatory requirements in the US. Mm-hmm. Uh, but specifically about Apex, uh, what makes it a utility token is the fact that it's not tradable outside of Apex.
0: And how does your minting process work? Like we have heard this word, I guess, like multiple times, it would be helpful to know more about it.
1: Are you asking about the uh, Apex currency or the NFTs? Or the, the Apex. Apex currency, so we, we have a, a very elaborate economic model, you can read about it a bit of, you know, white paper. But essentially, there are two pools of Apex that were pre-minted. One mm-hmm. is called the community pool. One is called the upland pool. Uh, the community pool is used to circulate upland inside of the game. So, for example, when somebody buys a property and pays Apex, the Apex that, it, that they pay go to the community pool. And then the mm-hmm. community pool, in turn, uh, serves to fund all the yields and bonuses in like a, a symbiotic economy. And then the Upland pool is utilized only for the purpose of us as operators to sell Apex to players in Upland. So again, it, it's not a traditional model, by the way. One of our co-founders is like an economist. He has a PhD in state-run economies. And, mm. and he kind of like um, masterminds the economic aspects uh, of Upland. But it, it's not really straightforward. It would, I can speak about it for 30 minutes for easily, but <laughs> that's kind of the high level of it. And and then minting of the properties is just uh, putting them on the blockchain. And again, there's a smart contract that does that. Our properties, are NFTs are very, very cool because you can utilize only the blockchain to uh, determine their precise geolocation in the world. So that's kind of like verifiable without having to depend on upland at all, which is pretty cool. It's pretty cool technology. Got
0: it. Got it. And what is your, like, how many? Users, do you get RT or peak time of the day? What's that number look like?
1: I think we just recently had a peak of uh, four thousand daily active users. I can't wow. recall the hourly or the minute by minute. I think we, we have. I think simultaneously we had probably three to five hundred players. And it, mm. it very depends on. Sometimes we we run a lot of live events where we, like the players converge and then play or they compete or they have some kind of a challenge that they need to do. Mm-hmm. So that creates a bit of a peak. But again, keep in mind, looking at, again, I'm uh, in my previous company, uh, I ran a game that was 100,000 DAUs, right? Today, at our peak, we are less than 5,000 DAUs. We are still a tiny game uh, and we're still in open beta. I'm almost embarrassed to speak about the, uh, kind of like the scale of this game because we're just basically getting started. So ask me again next year and I'll have uh, a much more exciting answer. For, yes. for a blockchain game it's still
0: Exactly. That's what I was going for, Idan. We are already impressed. Twelve hundred users and a- the Ethereum blockchain. If you guys yeah. have four thousand, it speaks volumes about the EOS blockchain itself and it speaks volumes about like what you guys have and like what you guys have as a as an offering. Both of these are like really good numbers. And of course we'd love to be here next year see how that goes
1: i'd love to come back and, and hopefully i can beat my own expectations
0: definitely definitely reza do you like have any final questions
2: uh
1: yes i got
2: i have what is do you have any insight into what your like player retention is like how are people coming how long are you maintaining a player right now on average
1: would you say or yeah so i, I can tell you that all of our player cohorts since our, so we, we launched the closed alpha back in uh, June of 2019. All of those cohorts are still active and, and playing. So not hundred percent obviously of those cohorts, but every single one of those are, are still uh, with us and active. So we have today, if you compare us to traditional games, our short-term retention is not that good. So it will be like mid twenties to thirties. Whereas a good game is considered between 40 and 50 day one retention. I don't to worry with numbers, but our, our longer term retention is re- really good, even when compared to traditional games. So once players stick around and, and understand the value proposition, uh, then they return for a long time. And I, I like to say that we have a superpower that enables us to call our players back even if they are dormant. And I think the reason for that is once you understand that your assets carry tangible value, you will always get excited about your portfolio with innovations and with new features and with stuff like that. So we see time and again, we're able to even people that became dormant, whether they got bored or, you know, they, they didn't have patience to with to, to the game. If we introduce a new feature, we have this ability that allows us to call our players base uh, back. And, and this was part of our hypothesis, meaning that uh, once people understand that they'll be able to, uh, to sell their assets in the market, if they choose to do and they perceive that they have tangible value. They no longer consider their investments of time and money in the game as some costs and that creates eventually bigger engagement. And that's m- awesome. Sorry.
0: It's okay. Go for it. If you have any other questions. Oh, nothing.
2: I'm, I'm done. I was just basking in the answer really, you know, right. just soaking
0: it in. Perfect. And I was trying to. Know more about what are the geographies from where a lot of these gamers originate, according to like you and the stats that you have.
1: Yeah, so if we talk about specifically about Upland, our user base is predominantly U.S. based, and then probably next in line is Western Europe, so specifically U.K. and Germany, and then we have also the rest of it is worldwide. We have a lot of Australia, some Asia. We have a pretty significant in, in central and southern america uh, population of gamers so it's pretty much worldwide uh, other than the us which is like a big chunk and uk
0: got it got it so with that uh, we'd like to bring this to a close and we'd like to wish you guys like of course there is that event that you guys are waiting for it might be done by the time this podcast goes live so best wishes and Let's see how that goes. And do you guys have any final words for Hakanone Readers? Can I show something real quick? Of course. <laughs> Shameless shill.
2: All right, so first of all, I am not a financial advisor. <laughs> but here's my pitch, all right? Here's my pitch. You heard about rope. You heard about small. The next big thing is pub token. Yes, I'm already farming it. Yes, all the cool people are already farming it, but it's not too late to get in on pub token. There's a group of uh, Telegram users that are going to be really happy with me for that. So I just had to throw that <laughs> out. I, I am now a yield farming degen. I will take that title. But it, uh-huh. it is something I've been into in the past couple of weeks, and I've embraced it
0: wholeheartedly. <laughs> I add my own like, disclaimer to it first before you go, on. noon does not endorse the views <laughs> of the PC, and Okay so it.
1: Uh- I'm only allowed to shield Upland, so I'll go back. For all the listeners, check out Upland, and when you do so, please, first of all, make sure to check out our community on Discord, and make sure to check some of the uh, like user-generated content around Upland. It's pretty cool and fun. Our community is lots of fun, great people, always willing to help. If you start out, they will bombard you with gifts and presents, and you'll make, uh, make status in the game in no time, if you join the community. And then one last thing, make sure to join via somebody's referral code. That will give you uh, a bonus with your first purchase. So we, Apple never discounts, Apex is never discounted. It's always $1 equals 1000 Apex. But if you come through a referral and there are a lot of uh, uh, referrals out there, uh, if you check our uh, user generated content, then you'll get uh, a 50% bonus on your first purchase
0: that's it thank you for that edan and we will have the links to your platform and to some of these programs that you mentioned at the bottom of the episode so it would be easier for users to find that out and with that thank you reza and thank you edan for being on the show we'd be happy to have you guys back sometime soon thank
2: you so much for having us
0: thank you